You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program was brought to you by Visible Inc., a free-of-charge writing program for cancer patients at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. For more information, visit mskcc.org slash Visible Inc. Hey, everyone. This is David Tatashore, lead engineer and studio manager of the Heritage Radio Network, and I'm reaching out to ask for your support during our end-of-year fund drive. A contribution in any amount supports our weekly programming and our mission to make the world a more equitable, sustainable, and delicious place. Plus, you'll receive exclusive member benefits like monthly playlists, discounted event tickets, party invitations, and more. So if you like good food and you love good food radio, throw a little dough our way. Make your gift at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Happy holidays from all of us here at Heritage Radio Network. Cynthia Cherish, Malloran, Reverend DJ Cherish, The Love, and you are listening to Primary Food on Heritage Radio Network. Before I forget, let me tell you how to reach out to me and get my attention on social media, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at DJ Cherish the Love, that is love spelled L-U-V, and hashtag using primary food, heritage underscore radio, and hashtag Rev Love. Welcome to the season finale of my third season of primary food thank you thank you thank you thank you uh that really means a lot to me that means you know well into 30 episodes of this work and and being here at heritage radio network it's just been so transformative for me and we're gonna go into why it's just all feels today and uh, so the name of the show is Primary Food, and what exactly is primary food? So I learned this really great concept in nutrition school at IIN, the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, that the food you eat, you know, the stuff we put in our mouths and chew and enjoy, like this Roberta's Pizza right in front of us, we consider that secondary food. Primary food is everything else in life that nourishes us before we sit down and eat, and that's stuff like enjoying music, reading a book, hanging out with friends, cooking food, doing a radio show, having a great job, acting, writing, creative expression, playing games, exercise, you get it. And I'm so glad that I learned this because it was the high-quality primary food that I kept in my life while going through chemotherapy last year that kept me happy and healing my cancer. So listeners, you can call in live, 718-497-2128. I'll say that again. Grab a pen. 718-497-2128. So Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit 
member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. So please go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. I will love you forever. So today we are talking about one of my favorite primary foods, creative writing. How creative writing feeds us. And I have some very special people in the studio with me today, and I'm getting really emotional about it, actually. I have the folks at Memorial Sloan Kettering's Creative Writing Program, Visible Inc., here with me in the studio, and, and this just means so much. I have Greg Kachajian to my right, and my writing mentor, Ann Geller. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. Uh, and we're going to go into the program and talk about it. And, uh, you know, before we do, we're, we're also going to have a couple of uh, really, really cool funk and soul songs that, you know, you guys know that I've been blessed with a wonderful Christmas gift. Ubiquity Records in Costa Mesa, California, has granted me permission to spin their entire discography on air and wherever I gig. So, wow, that's pretty incredible. And it's uh, music that's quite rare, and I'll be dusting it off and giving it new life. So Ubiquity Records was founded in 1990 by Michael and Jody McFadden out in the Groove Merchant Record Store in the Lower Haight of San Francisco, California. And following the success of Groove Merchant, named after a Sly and the Family Stone song, Love and Hate record label was launched in 93. The company was incorporated as Ubiquity Recordings. Um, Like I said, located in Costa Mesa, California, with a satellite office in San Francisco, Ubiquity has two imprint labels, Love and Hate, specializing in Rare Groove and Q-Bop Records, specializing in Latin Jazz and Salsa. So including all, all three imprints, the label has released over 350 albums covering genres from reggae to Latin jazz. So who, huge, huge, huge love and shout out to my music family over there in Costa Mesa in L.A., Mr. Chin, Enrique, Darren at Ubiquity, Tyler Thurmond, Kimberly Moore, Chica Soul, Aloe Black, Micah, Ross Russell. The list keeps going on and on. Well, we're going to start this show. So today, uh, Visible Ink. Let's talk about this program. (laughs) All of our listeners need to know what this is about. Greg, please start. Well, uh, the the program, the writing program, was founded um, in 2008 by Judith Kelman, who is uh, an award-winning writer, uh, novelist, um, and has written some nonfiction books as well. Um, She had seen that there was no type of writing program at Memorial Sloan Kettering and really had the idea that this could be a tremendous resource for people as a creative outlet. Um, And so she came up with the idea and met me and um, we talked about how ways that we could work together. She's piloted the program on the bone marrow transplant unit um, with one patient, one participant, and now, eight years later, over 1,400 patients have joined the program. I'm one of them. And you're a very good writer, too. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Say that again. <laughs> you're a very good writer. <laughs> and your role, Greg, tell us what so, you do. I, I'm the artistic director. So when Judith and I met and we talked about the program, we thought that it would be really great to um, publish an anthology of works by the participants in the program. So we did that. And my background, I'm an an actor and a writer and a director, producer. Um, I said, well, I could bring in all of my Broadway pals to 
perform pieces, why don't we do a live performance, a staged reading? So we started on a small scale, and now we we do this amazing show every year um, with this incredible cast of film and TV and Broadway actor, singer, dancers uh, that that bring to life the words that are written by the participants in the program. We, we take selected pieces that we do for the live performance, and then we publish an anthology of uh, so many other works as well. Being a participant with Visible Ink has been so nourishing for me. It, it, it truly was something that gave me just everything to look forward to. It, it Writing and... Well, let me start with how I found out about the program. Mm-hmm. I was going through chemo and experiencing rashes like all over my arms and, and my ribs. And I, I was keeping it very private. And I was just like... You know, I feel really like ashamed about like what's going on with my skin, but I feel like I need to mm-hmm. get this out of me. And I happen to have been waiting at uh, Dr. Mario Lacatura's waiting waiting room, and I said, just like need to write about this. I turned to my left and I see an, a flyer for Visible Ink. Oh wow! And I was like, what is this? I pick it up and I'm like, creative writing program here at Sloan. I was like, what's this about? And I put it in my bag and then forgot about it for a little bit. And then it came back to me and I was like, hey, wait a minute. I think that was for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> actually. And I looked it up online and I was like, wait a minute. Oh, this is just like some kind of a little writing workshop. Okay, cool. I can do that. It's so much more than that. <laughs> well, the, the thing that I love uh, about it is that um, participants, patients in the program can write about any topic of their choice. And it doesn't have to be disease related because our thought is that, you know, cancer is a part of your story, and it may at this time be a very big part of your story, but it's not your only story. Mm. And, you know, I think often people wind up um, feeling that once they've been diagnosed with cancer, they now are a professional cancer patient, or that that Mm -hmm. becomes their identity. And you are so much more than that. So we want to hear whatever story you want to tell, and you can tell it in any form. You, you can write fiction, nonfiction, memoir, poetry, rap lyrics. We were doing rap lyrics before Hamilton. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so what is the structure of the program for those who are listening and have never heard of this before and want to tell somebody they know that this thing exists? So a, a patient can, I'm sure, what you you probably contacted Judith then, right, yes. from the flyer. So you, you can contact Judith Kelman, and she will talk to you, find out what your interest is. And then we have amazing mentors in our program, and we have one of them with us here today. Um, but our, our mentors are from all different facets of... of uh, we have Tony Award-winning playwrights. We have Emmy Award-winning TV writers, editors, and staff writers from all of the top magazines, teachers, uh, just incredible people, over 200 of them. Wow. who volunteer their time to work with the patients. And so if somebody specializes, somebody wants to write poetry, we'll put them, them together with a world-class poet. Mm. And they will mentor them and help them with the pieces that they're writing. And then the patients can, every year we have a live performance and we publish an anthology. And the wonderful thing is, is that if 
participants want to submit work for that, they can. But sometimes people just want to write for themselves as well. Mm -hmm. Or people write legacy pieces. People write, you know, it's very personal. And, and the flexibility of the program is what I think is really wonderful. What is a legacy piece? I haven't heard that term before. Well, we've had some people who have... Um, who may not be doing really well and they feel like their time on this planet may be limited and they want to write letters to their children or they want to write something to be remembered by and we've worked with patients doing those type of uh, that type of material and does that get published or it's just it depends sometimes they they want it to be published sometimes uh -huh. they just want it for personal use and whatever it is, you know, however we can serve that patient um, to tell their story or to write what they want to write, that's that's how we do it. Oh, that's so beautiful. I, you know, if cancer could have a silver lining, <laughs> I guess, becoming a published author mm -hmm. because of it. I always wanted to become an author. I and you are. Yes, and I forgot to make it very clear. I didn't want to become an author through things like this, but it happened. And I got to exercise a piece of me, um, the writing piece of me, that was kind of dormant, but was always there. And my incredible mentor, Anne, who's sitting here also, helps. You're too kind. <laughs> you really bring the truth out of me. <laughs> Tell us what it's like to have mentored. How many years have you worked? It's about two and a half okay. now that I've worked with writers. Yeah. And, and I was thinking, you know, I came to the program through a writer and not actually through the program or oh. through Judith. So um, can I tell? Of That's course. Right. It's tell very quick. Everything. But awesome. um, I have a dog. And I uh, walk my dog regularly, and I got to know a dog friend is how I think of those people, mm -hmm. right? You know the dog, and you know the person, but you don't even know their name. And um, sometimes we would walk together a little bit, and um, I could tell that that person was becoming ill. And I knew that person well enough to start talking with that person a little bit about it and about her treatment. And then she told me um, one day about her incredible mentor. And we started to talk sometimes about the writing she was doing and her mentor. And um, I think of myself as a writer. I, I mostly write nonfiction and academic work, and I teach writing. Um, but, but I somehow didn't see myself as a mentor in a program like this. And then the more she talked about her mentor and their relationship and what she was able to write and what it did for her while she was in treatment, I thought, maybe I could be a mentor. <laughs> and that's what led me to, to call Judith and to meet with her and to say, could I be a mentor? And, and she said, you're crazy. Of course you're a mentor. <laughs> and so it, it's interesting to have realized that I came at it, it that way. Um, and, you know, the one thing, other thing I have to say about Judith is she's amazing at matching writers. Mm. Oh, and she's so talented. Yeah. It, she is. She is. She just knows something for about about all of us. That I wonder she, how Judith matched you and me. I'm so curious. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Next season, you'll have to have her back. <laughs> but but what you probably don't know is when Judith contacts us, um, she she gives us a sense, a wonderful sense. You must work with this person, right? Like she has oh, this wow. sort of magical way of saying, "This is a writer for you," <laughs> and, and she's always right. And oh my so that's how we were matched. Wow, I love to hear this piece of the story. And what was your first experience like mentoring your first writer? Yeah, it, um, 
so it's funny, right? Because you have to tell your first writer that they're your first writer in some <laughs> way when they say, how do you usually work with people? Your, and, and I work, um, I've worked for years and years and years one-on-one with writers. So it certainly wasn't a new experience for me, but, um, my first writer who I'm still working with is pretty amazing. And, um, and I think there's an interesting ebb and flow sometimes where, um, writers write and it may be in periods when they're in treatment and they need that writing or they're working on something. And then, um, their life takes over a little bit in ways, you know, either because of treatment and illness or because of, of life. You know, and and more of what they're doing in their everyday without feeling the constant um, pressure of that. And and sometimes writers disappear and reappear. And so I haven't necessarily worked with that person for two and a half years straight. Uh But I'm always so happy when that person reappears and, and says, I'm writing something. And... And I want to show it to you again. And so... um, And I think that's a really nice part of the program as well. You know, patients can come and go from this program. A a lot of people think, oh, do you have to be in the hospital Mm -hmm. to to be a part of this? And I would say a majority of our patients are outpatient. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, And they... Sometimes they've never even met their mentor mm-hmm. in person because mm-hmm. uh, patients and, and their mentors will work together on Skype. They'll email each other. They'll On the telephone, they'll work together. Um, we've had patients who retreated here, came here from other countries, joined the program, um, and went back to South America, to Europe, to Asia, all over the place, and they still... Are, remain a part of oh, Visible wow. Link. I mean, that's the kind of world we live in now mm-hmm. that you can still do that through email and mm-hmm. Skype, and and they're very active still in the program. Fourteen hundred patients. Over fourteen, yeah. That's incredible. I mean, now that I understand the scope of that, people keep coming back, just like myself. Mm-hmm. So this is my second year, and I submitted two more pieces. And, Which I can't um, wait to read. <laughs> you haven't read them yet? No, oh, I, I, they're whoppers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would love to hear. Have you brought a piece to share with us from another writer? Uh, I, I have. I did bring another piece. You did? Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so we'll take a little musical break. We'll prep, and then we'll, we'll share that piece. Okay. Now, if you know, don't try to tell me. Cause I've got to find out for myself And if it's so, don't try to sell me Cause I've got to find out for myself I know experience is a mother But fools will have no other So I've got to find out for myself A cancer diagnosis can leave you feeling anxious, depressed, and vulnerable. Visible Inc., a writing program at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, offers patients the chance to work on a writing project of their choice with individual support from an experienced writing mentor. Our goal is to reduce stress and give voice to your story, poem, blog, or memoir. Visible Inc. publishes an annual anthology of works by participants and stages a live performance of selected writing featuring Broadway entertainers. The program is free of charge to Memorial Sloan Kettering patients and is fully supported through grants and donations. If you're a Memorial Sloan Kettering patient, a potential volunteer, mentor, or someone who would like to support Visible Inc., please visit our website at mskcc.org slash visibleinc. 
That was Gotta Find Out by Sweet Maya. And uh, we're going to read a piece from Visible Inc.'s 2014 anthology. Greg, go for it. So uh, this is written by a female writer, so uh, just forgive my deep voice (laughs) as I read in her, her words. Got it. But this is a piece called Cancer Is Not All I Have. I have cancer. I also have a quarter size beauty mark on my right hip. My dad has a matching one that's half dollar size, and my sister's is the size of a dime, same spot. I have chemo-resistant Hodgkin's lymphoma. It persists despite slews of drugs, radiation, stem cell transplants, and clinical trials of chemicals only rats have endured before me. I have soft ringlets after 25 years of limp, limp straw, courtesy of chemo's kinking effect on my follicles. Long, dainty fingernails passed down from my nana and a warped left pinky toenail that just can't get it together despite attempts to normalize it with polish. I have three-inch scars within each armpit holding together skin that was once sliced open to get out malignant lymph nodes. There was another slash across my trachea where a tumor was pulled from my chest. I also have lanky chicken arms that I love because they make me feel like a dancer. I have a booty worth shaking... Hazel eyes that change color with my wardrobe choice and teeth so strong a cavity has yet to break through. I have a catheter implanted in my my chest that sticks out like a third nipple but allows easy streaming of drugs, blood, and fluids. The tubing is visible through my thin chest skin and gives me a robotic quality. I have a good man who loves me. Sick, healthy, crazy me. He is strong yet gentle open-minded, compromising, patient, and thoughtful. He can be vocal at the right times and smartly quiet at the right times, too. He can fix anything, build anything, lift anything, jump fences, ski glades, refurbish a piano, transform discarded wood into incredible art pieces. I have a renaissance man who cuddles and supports me, but also pushes me past my boundaries to my best self in the gentlest possible way. I have marks all over my torso from chemo, burning my tissues from the inside out. Someone might guess I'd gotten these from a failed suicide attempt with a razor, although they'd be wrong. I have a good dog, a 60-pound blonde ball of unbridled love. She is my trusty companion, my confidant. I love every drop of her slobber, every whiff of her doggy breath, every pinch from her paw as she tries to wriggle her way on top of me like a lapdog. I have, a cancer, I have cancerous cells within my bones, spreading in a confined space, compromising the strength of my pelvis, my hips, my femurs, and my art sacrum, and encroaching on my vertebrae. This means compounded, chronic pain. I have intelligence and creativity that allows me to practice writing, a craft that brings me in an incredible amount of joy and fulfillment. I have anemia and comprised lung capacity, both side effects from toxic treatments, making it difficult at times to catch my breath or stand up without seeing stars. I have the habits of a 30-year-old woman. I have a book club. I walk and kayak and practice yoga. I cook at creatively and, uh, as creatively and healthfully as I can. I read The New Yorker and Cosmo. I cuddle up nightly with my husband and dog to watch Brian Williams give the news. I like pedicures and natural lip gloss, statement jewelry and scarves. I love NPR and MTV. I have been living with cancer since age 26, the disease, the side effects, the treatment, the anguish. I own a home with my husband that was once a 19th century church. It sits on a dead-end street near wooded trails along a mountain ridge. 
I have endured treatments so harsh they left me with the sex drive of an elderly woman and robbed me of the possibility of pregnancy. I have a family that can handle my wildly independent and indignant ways, somehow knowing when I need to be coddled, even when I don't understand it myself. I have friends, great friends. Each offer special qualities, and they all meld into one big love fest that I can tap into at any time. I have few viable treatment options left. My life depends on the speed of cancer research to save me. I have cancer, and I am eating a plum on a lounge chair in the spring sun. I have toxic chemotherapy currently working to kill every rapidly dividing cell in my body, but the sound of my husband's saws whirring in his workshop and the sight of Sam Dog rolling her tennis ball down the driveway makes it somehow okay. I have a balls-out fabulous life and the capacity to understand its impermanence. Sure, I have some things that I don't need, cancer, but I have everything I do need. I revel in that. Sure, I lose perspective. But then good days come, and I forget about the cancer for a while, blinded by the gratitude I get to be here, to enjoy this world and the people in it. I have cancer, and I'm eating a plum. Wow. That was exquisite. And where would that piece be if not for the program? Yep. It's, uh, it's, I'm mesmerized by the power of the writing of the participants in this program. And, and the, the lovely thing is, as well is that it, patients from all different backgrounds and writing levels are a part of this program. We had one woman who honestly was barely literate when she first started and wound up writing a piece that we staged a few years ago that was one of the most beautiful pieces I have. It was so exquisite. So to, to watch the way that people's writing, how, how they, they grow as writers as well. Um, but it, it's, you know. I think it's interesting, too, when people write for their work, but this writing can be so different from mm-hmm. the writing they do for work. So they might think of themselves as producing a lot of text, and, and then they think, I want to work with words or describe yeah. my feelings, or, and, and they're stuck. And so as a mentor, it's so, it's so wonderful to be able to say, you know, that's that kind of writing, but you can do any other kind of writing. You could write young adult fiction. You could write poems. You could just write words in lists. And, and, and to watch people like, who say, I've never written a poem before, but all of a sudden I'm obsessed with writing poetry. Or oh, so to watch incredible. the growth of, of mm-hmm. what people do and, and to see the there's so many hidden talents inside of people that they don't realize. That is the beauty of writing, creative writing, journaling, and all of that is that when this stuff comes bubbling out of you, it's so pure, it's so real, it's it's incredible. We're we're actually working with the Department of Psychiatry as well. Um, and doing outcome studies, doing scientific studies on the power of the impact a program like this has on patients' well-being and reducing stress. And it's it's an amazing thing. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I feel like I'm the walking, living proof, me and uh, the other 1,399 <laughs> <laughs> See, and this is stuff that we, we all know from being a part of the program, but, you know, being in a scientific community, there's always, you know, they, they yeah. want the proof and they want the studies. And, and we're like, studying. okay, and, and they're doing it. And, it, and they're, they're seeing that what we know is true is, is absolutely true. I also love when the writers I'm working with say, I took the poem and I read it to my doctor. 
And I think to mm. myself, why am I not writing things like that and taking them to my doctor? <laughs> <laughs> we would have a different relationship if I wrote a poem and took it to my doctor. My doctor might see me. <laughs> Well, my doctor was actually staged in the one that That's right. <laughs> that did. That's right. Now, let's talk about, before we talk about what staging involves and, and what that is like, I have to say that it is, it's truly an honor to pass my writing to you guys. Like, there, there's this beautiful feeling of, okay, I've written what I need to write. Anne has okayed it. I'm passing it to Greg, and it is going to become something I can't even envision. And you were. I I just want to say, you left out the part of Anne has received it in her email and can't believe what she's received, right? Uh, There's an incredible, when those pieces arrive to me and someone says, be in this piece with me and I'm not sure about this word. And that's such a luxurious exchange and relationship. Tell me more about that because that is so. Oh, that's so beautiful. I don't even have words for that, for well, you to receive those. But you can describe what it's like. I mean, I think our exchange back and forth, right? I'm, I'm trying to judge what can I ask you to look at and what do you want to look at? And then I'll ask you a question. And what does it feel like to get that question back? When, whenever I get a question from you that says, look at this part or examine this part. And I sit and I go, no, that part's perfect. No, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like that. I'm like, wait a minute. That part was absolutely perfect. No, it's not. And I see it and I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I get it. And so on the yeah. other side, I'm sitting on my sofa thinking, I love everything around this. Why Why not this part? I'm sending uh, it to Cynthia so she can work on it. <laughs> and then I take it back and I'm like, okay, okay, it's not it's not done yet. Okay, I can, I can really truly be honest with myself and say, no, it's not done. But this was the first chunk. And we pass it back and forth. This is the, the writer and mentor relationship part before it goes to uh, to Judith. We pass it back and forth until it's like, Okay, we agree. This mm-hmm. is it. Mm-hmm. And that's such a great feeling. It is a feeling, such right? A great it is. Feeling. There it is. There yeah. it is. And then once it goes from you to then Judith and Greg, so what happens with the staging? Because let me describe my, my piece, Cancer in a Jar, which I believe I read. Genius. It was just wonderful. I think I read on air in the first season. If I, I, might, I might have. I might not. I forget. But I had a piece in it, a little prop or like the cancer in a jar and and to to be so surprised to see that you guys had replicated a model of it and 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 to see someone act as me Mm -hmm. it was such an out-of-body experience because i was watching and saying wait a minute those are my words wait a minute Mm -hmm. that's my story wait a minute these people are wait it was amazing and i felt my body healing from the hand grenade I had just eaten earlier in the year, and it was the most incredible um, piece of nourishment and medicine I could have gotten. You know, it's interesting that the piece that I just read, we had staged uh, another piece of hers one year, um, and it was really about like the worst, one of the worst days of her life. Mm. And when we staged it, 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 it's actually a very funny piece as well. And she had written a blog about it afterwards just to say that it was surreal to sit there and what had once been one of the worst days of her life, she's now sitting in an audience, she's watching Broadway actors perform a piece that she wrote, she's listening to the audience around her laugh at her words, and she said what had been one of the worst days had become one of my best days. I totally know that feeling. <laughs> and like to have that transfer, to, to see how you can take something and transform that is 
uh, I mean, what is better than that? I really can't think of many things better than that. And to those who are listening, I truly encourage you to check out where where can people find out more about the program and donate to it and keep it going. Yeah, well, the the, the thing is about the program where you know Memorial Sloan Kettering is so incredible in terms of the way they support the program, but but they don't. Um, it's not financially supported. We're completely run on grants and donations. Um, so, and you can find out information about that on our website, which I, it's been great. We've been hearing the commercials for it, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's uh, www.mskcc.org backwards slash Visible Ink. And it's Visible Ink. A lot of people call us Invisible Ink. <laughs> ah, clarity. So it's Visible, visible Ink. ink. Um, and there's a, there's a page, you know, on there that says how you can donate and you can read about the program. You can actually see the live performances. There's a link on there that you can watch all of the live performances. So everything is archived. You mm-hmm. can watch it. Yeah, yeah. All, all the years. And tell us about the anthology, the printed book. The printed books, I think, is a real quality uh, bound copy. It's it's beautiful. It has many of the stories of the participants in the program. You know, again, we give people the opportunity to to submit their work, and we have a, a panel that reads all the pieces and decides what pieces will get published. And then we take about fifteen of those pieces and decide that we're going to stage them. And it's and those are the pieces that are you know what we're looking for when we're staging the show is like variety um just a mix of experiences you're looking for poignant pieces you're looking for funny pieces you're looking for pieces that will lend themselves to music and dance because you are you're doing a show so you want it to be an entertaining evening there is music and dance involved which is something you just i just couldn't even imagine when i'm writing stories from the chemo chair well if you're listening and you're going through that right now and you have a piece in you or you've already written one you want to submit it um it can become something performed mm-hmm. <laughs> before, before you, and you will just be so blown yeah, away. Certain pieces just lend themselves to, you know, it's sometimes especially poetry and all. Like, you could just visualize it and say, oh, this would be a beautiful piece to set to dance. And and believe it or not, there are funny pieces. Oh, very funny. There are, there are a lot of really funny pieces. What is it like to receive a funny piece knowing that there's all this gravity behind it? And how do you how do you stage it? Like the, I want to know about the process of you've gotten a piece and it's like, wow, now what? Yeah, for me, it's you know as I'm reading the pieces, very often I'm, I'm very visual. That's I just I if if I'm reading a novel, whatever it is, I see it in my head as a movie. So uh-huh. it always just or I see it on the stage. I, I, that's just the way that I read things. I, I'm just a visual person. So when I'm reading the pieces. Uh, it's already starts formulating in my mind how this can be put together. And, you know, we don't have a whole lot of time to do it either because, uh, you know, we're, we're using these Broadway actors we're using. So the rehearsal period's very short. Um, and, and these performers are incredible, too, because they all donate their time, volunteer to come and, and perform these pieces. And for them, they say it's the the best part of their year. It's one of the best things that they ever do because we have a really lavish wonderful reception afterwards and the actors get to actually meet the piece that the people whose pieces they've just performed oh, that and wonderful. that means so much to them it really does you had told me a story about how much it means to some of these broad broadway actors yeah like we had we had two actors that were uh, you know we always do the show on a monday night because it's the dark night for broadway but um, we had two actors that were in 
the production of Chicago, which is one of the few Broadway shows that has a Monday night performance. And our show starts at 6 o'clock, and they said, well, if you can stage our piece at the beginning of the show, we can have a car waiting outside for us to get us to our curtain on time. Mm. That's how devoted they are. And they did. They performed here, ran, jumped in the car. They were really sad they had to miss the reception, but uh, they still performed their show. That's, that's real dedication. I think that says a lot. I was thinking about, about what that show has taught me about performance, too, for the writers. And I, I work with a writer who is writing some poetry. And because of that, I encouraged her to record a piece that she was working mm-hmm. on and just audio recorded herself mm-hmm. and, and have it that way as sound, right? And I think that's an amazing lesson from yeah. it, too, right? Yeah, and it's 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 people are amazing. that The submissions that are coming in now, too, are very, like, there's, there's so many more dimensions to what people are submitting now as well. Oh, how so? Um, I've noticed, and I'm just starting to read the pieces now, but there were a lot of pieces that had attachments with you know, photographs already attached. Um, a lot of people that submitted things with music, like, a, like people who've written songs, who've written, which is really exciting. I, I love that. The interesting thing with the program for me is that it kind of validates the whole experience of cancer for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is a weird thing to say, like I got an award (laughs) at the end of cancer, but it kind of felt like I got a Uh creative award for (laughs) for going through cancer. And I'm like, what a weird thing to think, but it feels great. But how powerful that, you know, you, you took the initiative to, to do this and to see the, the results of, of that work. Yeah, we'll take a little music break, and then I'm going to ask you guys questions about what it means personally for you. Great. Greg and Anne, why do you guys do this? Like, what is the personal draw for you? What's the, what's it like for you guys to, yeah. I love being with writers and (sighs) I think it's, it's taught me so much about being with writers wherever they are, whatever they want to write about their, what they want to write about, what you want to write about, right? It changes day to day and mood to mood and, and as a mentor, I can be where you are as a writer. And and it's a kind of, again, I, I think I was a flexible writer among writers, but it's taught me even more about that, about how to think about whatever's meaningful to the writer with them and in whatever form seems right that day. And both of my parents um, uh, had cancer and both were treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And... Both did really well. My mom, 32 years ago, had breast cancer, went through a radical mastectomy and chemotherapy, and is 
80 now, and she'll probably kill me for saying that, but, uh, <laughs> but she's thriving and do, doing really well. Um, so Memorial Sloan Kettering's always had a very special place for me. But creatively, um, one of the things for me as a writer is I've always, I want my work to be about making people's lives better, giving, making people think. And there's nothing, like, I mean, having the privilege of being the artistic director for this program and being able to have such a positive impact um, creatively just means the world to me. It's, it's definitely the best thing I've ever done. Oh, I thank you both and Judith for being and existing for me. Just me. <laughs> and for everyone. <laughs> thank you as a writer who allows me to work with you. It's, it's thank such you a, for writing such great material. It's been such... Um, it's an up and down kind of ride, but this is definitely the, the peak the peak of this entire cancer ride. <laughs> uh, do you have any final words, any last thoughts or things you want to say about the program? Or well, just to, to that uh, people should keep writing and know about us. And, you know, eventually our, our goal is to be able to expand outside of, you know, to be available to all cancer patients, no matter where they're being treated. Mm. Um, but, but for us now, like one of our focus is making the program sustainable and, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to, to do that and move forward and just expand this in many, many uh, other ways. Greg Kachajian, thank you so much for thank being you. here. And Geller, my mentor. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And uh, everyone who's listening, please check out Visible Inc. Um, Suggest it to anyone you know that might be going through cancer treatment who are, or who has survived. Yeah, at, and currently at, at Memorial Sloan at Kettering. At Memorial Sloan yeah. Kettering. And uh, please uh, check out the videos because we've got many of them online. Yep. The one that uh, I submitted is called Cancer in a Jar, and it's kind of funny. So yeah, it's <laughs> great. Check it out. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Primary Food is produced by Heritage Radio Network, a nonprofit member-supported radio station devoted to all things food. Help keep Heritage Radio Network alive by becoming a member today. Go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on the beating heart to donate. Do it now. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better fairer more delicious place and we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.